Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. doing dave we are on the downhill side of uh our first hundred episodes now i i know i know we're speeding down toward number 100 just seems like the other day we did number 50 well we'll see if we make it (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna make it (laughs) no reason to suspect otherwise at this point absolutely you're right so uh well we had a show a few weeks ago but since then what's been going on in dave's model sphere my model sphere has been pretty good. I uh, Normally, this time of year, it slows down rather than speeds up. But normally, this time of year, my modeling slows down. In fact, uh, I've always referred to Thanksgiving to the new year as the dark time. But this year, it's not been that way. In fact, a little bit the opposite. Uh, I cleared some stuff at work uh, that was kind of dragging on me and taking up my time. I've got multiple projects that are within sight of being able to be finished. I don't know how many of them are going to be finished by the end of the year, but uh, all in all, my my model sphere has been been pretty active. It's been it's been encouraging. How about yours? Well, let's take a minute there and talk about that a little bit. You know, that's let's see. This is our our second dark time as a podcast for you, right? Well, yeah. no, we we kind of started in one, right? And then we had one last year. This would be our third one actually because we yes. started in the winter time. So what what are you going to do to to minimize that that downpull this time you know what La- last year it it didn't happen as much it, did, it didn't have as big an effect i actually got a fair amount of modeling done between thanksgiving and the new year last year but i am wondering if a lot of that wasn't pandemic related yeah it could be with with the pandemic and everybody locked in and went remember last winter we were experiencing a big upsurge and everybody was all freaky so you know there was less holiday related activity there were less holiday parties the you know you know we didn't have the big thanksgiving get together christmas was also more muted and that may have contributed to my my increased modeling output I'm hoping I can I can repeat this year when we're now going to be returning to uh, quote unquote normal holiday activities. But uh, I just we're gonna, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. The only thing that encourages me is I got a bunch of work stuff off my plate. Well, that's good. So how about you? What what what's your model sphere been looking like? Uh you know I've I've probably mentioned it before, but uh, I might paint a an old vintage Dungeons and Dragons miniature every now and then. Yeah. And uh, it's one of my plans for getting better or, or at least staying current is to exercise my painting skills on, on those things and not the new stuff. I like the old stuff that I had when I was a teenager and playing that game regularly as a teenager in high school and early college. And I've been on eBay trying to find a new lot to buy to get some new ones, some mm-hmm. new old, some new old ones. So it's kind of fun because my, my, my youngest son is in a, in a gaming club at school now, and he's starting to get into the current current rendition of that game. So we've having a lot of inf- interesting conversations, and uh, he's kind of buy and flip guy himself. So he likes getting old stuff and 
messing around with it. So it's been kind of fun father son little thing. Other than that, I want to mention our, our one man army raffle again. We've been taking names to raffle off the, uh, the things that Sven from one man army sent us is samples. And we've gotten, gotten our, quite a few entrants so far, but again, I wanted to mention that at the front end of this episode. Um, if you want to get into that, you can go back and list, listen to episode 50 to get the details. But uh, again, send us an email uh, with one man army in the subject line and in the body of the email, put your name and geography, city, state country, if you're outside North America. And again, we'll be announcing the winners to that raffle in episode 52, which will be the next one from this one. So, that's what's been going on. I've been collecting names. Good, good. That sounds. Listen, I'm telling you what it uh, it sounds like a good time. I think so, Mike. We we can't have a, a, an episode without a modeling fluid. So I assume you have some modeling fluid in front of you. Oh, I like that sound. Still a line from you, Dave. There you go. Well, I am drinking. Knockout IPA from Fat Bottom Brewing in Nashville, Tennessee. Interesting choice. Uh, I don't think I've ever had uh, anything from that brewery. Well, this was a listener gift. Oh, this is the... the uh, I had completely forgotten about that. Well, we had a listener show up in Lexington from uh, the Knoxville, Tennessee area. This is one of his favorites, and uh, I've had a few already. And I got some bad news about that six-pack, Dave. I just, it's not looking good. I don't think it's going to make it, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you heard it live. I've been stabbed in the back. I got you a couple uh, setback, man. It'll be there. A, you go. There you, you probably, go. You might be able to find this in Louisville, actually. But uh, you, you probably can. I'll save you a couple of freebies. Good. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate well, and that. It, you know, it's an IPA. We'll see. How it's got kind of a, a boxing ring kind of motif on it with a cute little girl with a boxing glove on it. Fat Bottom Brewing, Knockout IPA. So so what's the ABV on it? There's no ABV on here. Oh, wow. Well, That's we'll interesting. Look at, I'll look it up on Untapped later. There you go. Well, what about you, man? What are you sipping on? It's like Bob and Doug McKenzie show, man. <laughs> one of my favorites. Not one of mine. Not one oh, of mine. Oh, I love that. Up to all our Canadian listeners, that was Mike basket who said that yeah, mike basket not, not one of my favorite comedy routines but uh, <laughs> i love bob there was bob. a lot of good talent came out of sctv but uh, yes there, there yes there was that one didn't gra- grab my attention but go ahead what are you doing i i digress i'm drinking a beer it's called hellcat american india pale ale and it's a collaboration brew between brew dog and iron maiden brewing so the two breweries got together and they came out with Hellcat, which I will admit that I bought solely because of the name and to celebrate to me as new, uh, new Hellcat release. It's an India pale ale also. It's 6% alcohol by volume and, uh, first sips rather encouraging. You sent me a picture of the can, which we'll put on the Facebook page. Now is Iron Maiden involved in this at all? Because that, that sure looks like their uh, their motif there on the front. Yes, I have no idea what the licensing arrangement is. Maybe they've consulted border models attorneys. Who knows? I don't know what what the arrangement <laughs> is. <laughs> but so far, it's a darn good beer. But we'll get back at the end of the episode and let you know. But it's looking promising. Well, mine's rather pleasant as well, and we'll get into where that came from at the end of the episode. So uh, that's what we got going on. Yeah. Uh, other than a crap ton of listener mail again. Well, that's good news. 
That is good news. Folks like writing into the show. Now, a couple of these may be repeats because we got some like the day right before we recorded last time and then the day before the day before. So two days before we recorded, right? First up, Robert Justin. Uh, he is from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I think I, I think I did do this one last time, but I just wanted to, to tell you that he wants to thank you because he joined the, the IPMS. So, All right. Well, glad to have him on board. Get involved. And he hopes to see us in Omaha, so Cedar Rapids won't be too far of a drive for him. No, it's going to be an easy one for him. By comparison, anyway. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a long haul compared to him. Now, this is another possible repeat. Jim Maddox, uh, no geo, but uh, he must have used the Facebook form because it put his phone number in here, which had a, unless he's like got a cell phone and moved somewhere else, he seems to be in the Wichita, Kansas area. Ah, it's not far from Omaha, Nebraska either, really. Exactly. Uh, and I think I mentioned this as well because he suggested our adhesives that we use and how we use them would be a good good episode segment for us. And yep. in fact, we are planning on doing that in episode 52. So, Jim, thanks again for the suggestion. If I doubled up on you, well, you got 30 minutes of fame instead of 15. Well, Dave, I'm going to let you play a little bit. We had a couple of uh, rather extended conversations on Facebook message that you kind of you kind of, I was in there a little bit, but you kind of handled the bulk of that. Won't you, won't you tell us that we had Mr. Frank Blanton from Richmond, Richmond, Virginia, I believe. Yes. Uh, Frank reached out to us. He discovered the podcast and started listening. Uh, he was going back and uh, doing what a lot of guys do, which is go back to the beginning and carve through all the episodes. And he's in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I've lived three places in my life, uh, I've lived in Huntington, West Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, and then Louisville, Kentucky, uh, was spending some summers in Pensacola, Florida. But uh, so he was from, he lives in Richmond now. And so we had an interesting conversation over the fact that we're, you know, we both were familiar with Richmond. He and I are close to the same age. And so we grew up listening to the same radio station and all of that back in Richmond. And uh, he'd heard us discuss, uh, amps and the 2022 amps national is in Norfolk, which, uh, uh, for him is just a two, two and a half hour drive down the road. Um, the IPMS has held the nationals there in Norfolk and Virginia beach or Hampton roads in Virginia beach before same area. And that's only a 10 hour drive from Louisville. And, uh, I've done that on a couple of occasions, and he suggested we ought to come down to the 2022 amps. And I'm thinking that's not the worst idea I've heard, because you and I haven't been to an amps together since uh, uh, Harv de Grasse or Auburn, Illinois. Did you go to the one in Auburn? Indiana. I mean, Indiana. Yeah, Auburn. Yeah, I went to Auburn, Indiana. Okay. It was the one one that was held in that old tennis facility. Yes. Yep. And they had a small museum there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last one I went to. And the last one I went to in Maryland was like 02. Yeah. So that's, that's been a little while. So so it's time for us to make an amps appearance. Yeah, maybe that one or wherever it is after that. We'll, we'll see what's up with that. Yeah, we probably should make an amps appearance at some point. Yeah. So we'll have to dig that up. But it was nice to, I mean, uh, you know, I keep saying that, that one of the fun benefits that I never envisioned in doing these uh, podcasts is the community that's built up and the people who find us and reach out and end up interacting with them. And it's funny that, that he reached out and 
because another person reached out who a guy named Sean Donnelly and Sean is from West Virginia. So I got to talk to people in the two other places that I've lived. So we had a, an interesting little conversation about just about just like two guys sitting down talking about modeling. You know, you just there's that natural conversation because you're both interested in modeling and then oh, what yeah, your interests yeah. are. And then of course the conversation veered a little bit toward modeling fluids. He likes Irish whiskey. I was recommending single malt scotches, Dalwini and uh, the Balvin uh, Caribbean cask. But uh kind of nice to have people reach out from the places where I grew up and talk modeling. It was just it was just kind of fun. Well, that's the way it works, man. I know. Seems, seems I like it's it. always the case. I do too. Well, we'll keep going here. One of our friends in Quebec, uh, Danny Saint Laurent in Quebec City, uh, writes in again. He's he's written in a several times, actually. Uh, I love I love that Quebec boy. You are making the effort. <laughs> I'm making the effort, man. <laughs> hey, people appreciate it. I, I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they don't. But I, I just admire that you're making it. Oh, he's asking about Zimmerit. Mike, what's your technique? What product do you use? I'm using Zimmerit sheets. And I'm struggling with curved surfaces. Please be our Dr. Strange Zimmerit in the next episode. Oh, God. Oh, Danny. The pipes are calling. <laughs> <laughs> That's not French, though, is it? No. No, it is not. <laughs> I have only done Zimmerit once in my life, and I used the uh, Cavalier sheets, which I don't even know if those are still available. I, I don't know if they're still making them. The attack sets are still available. I don't know if the, the Cavalier ones are. Uh, that's where I'm going next time because I've done the squadron green putty and the uh, the old Campbell Model Railroad HO scale corrugated roofing sheets to to put the texture in it, and that's that's no fun at all. No, and I don't see you know I saw uh, some some companies have made photo etch sheets, and that just seems like zero fun, and yeah. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even attempt that. Might be anti-fun. There's a lot of negative modeling potential in photo editors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of irreparable negative modeling, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and probably a lot of salty language. Well, Danny, with these curved surfaces, I'm I'm trying to think like maybe if you had like a I don't know a, a Porsche turreted King Tiger with a with a curved turret or something like that. I think you just got to get one side set and then 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 tack the other end down after it's good and dry. I I, I don't know. I've got some Sturmgeschütz I want to build. I've got several sheets set back for, and a, and a an elephant tank destroyer. I've got some sets for. I I haven't done a lot of Zimmerit. I just haven't done it. So I I'm sorry. I'm not much help. So that's the advantage of doing a lot of Russian stuff, right? You don't have to do don't, Zimmerit. Yeah, you don't have to do it. <laughs> if any of our other listeners have any suggestions or help for Danny, please uh, please write in, and we'll we'll forward that along and. Hopefully we can help him out because yeah, I, I, I'm the same boat he is. I, I would like to do a little more. Next up, David Paisley from North Bend, Washington, and he's out there near Jim. Yep. In fact, I think he mentions it here somewhere. Oh Lord. Yeah, not too far from the famous Jim Bates. Um, not far enough, probably. <laughs> well, he's worked a long time in the aerospace industry, so he's into a lot of aircraft models. He's he's worked personally on everything from the Panavia Tornado to the V22 Osprey. 
Uh, he likes 40s to 60s jet fighters and bombers and commercial stuff for the most part. He says he loves our modeling fluids segment and thinks I'm the more routinely disappointed in my choices because he <laughs> thinks I'm more adventurous than you are. I, I don't know if I agree with that or not. You you get some strange beers, man. I, I do. I, I would let sit there. Um, yeah. You know, he says Gumball Head's not available in Seattle yet. If he knows Jim Bates, he can go by and, and mug Jim because we'll, we're figuring out a way to smuggle some gumball head out to Jim. Well, I, I don't think he knows him, but he's he lives out there near him. Okay. And, and one point he brings up is that, uh, you know, with all these podcasts out there, there's yet to be a female pop up. You know where I would expect that to pop up would be in either uh, figure modeling or anime, uh, Gundam stuff. We're going to have to look into this. This is, There's no question modeling is a, a male-dominated hobby. It's, you know. It's a, that's just the way it is right now. Yeah, it's just the way it is. But the two areas where you do see female modelers are in the figure areas. In fact, I was going to tell you that... Uh, uh, I know you're not really on Twitter, but uh, there are a couple of female figure painters who post their stuff on Twitter. They they paint the little Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer miniatures. Man, they are doing some amazing stuff. And then, you know where you see uh, more female modelers? Wonderfest. Yeah, that's true. You do. Because you have more of the Gundam anime sci-fi and figures you see more, uh, tons more female modelers at Wonderfest than you see at any IPMS USA contest. Now, it's still a small minority. Don't get me wrong, but I, I suspect when you when you hear your first female podcast guest on a modeling podcast, it's probably going to be uh, someone who does uh, uh, figures or sci-fi anime stuff. Well, Scale Model Podcast already had one a couple of years ago. Oh, did they? I don't uh, remember. Uh, Kim, uh, and she does do fantasy figures. I can't remember her last name, but she's involved with the Thatch Weave Productions that makes those. Uh, I've actually met her. I've, yeah, they I've, used to be at Amps all the time. Yes, and and you would see her. She actually would be sitting there producing the items at the vendor table. So, yes, I've... I, I haven't really talked to her or anything, but uh, yeah, I know who that is. And then um, Darren from the Model Geeks podcast, uh, unless unless it's a you know a, a name that kind of is used by both male and female, um, I think there's a an aircraft modeler that may be female that they they talk about oh. from time to time. So that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we have we have a purpose now for Wonderfest next year. There you go. We'll find wrangle a couple of female modelers and have a, a, a female modeler roundtable. That's a good idea. Write that down, Mike. You're the attorney. You like to write stuff down. There you go. Oh, Bob, the voice of Bob Bear, Charlotte, North Carolina. I wonder if his wife still thinks you're handsome. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with that, man. Let, let us know, Bob, see if, she, if, unless she's, see if she's changed her mind or not. Oh, Bob says he always feels he has so much to learn to get better. We all do. And he attacks it in several ways. And he congratulated, congratulated us on 50 episodes, too, raising a glass of high-octane bourbon. Yay. Thank you, Bob. Uh, he likes to listen, read, and watch experts do things. Yep, that's a good way to learn. It is. Two, just bloody do it. Dive in. He knew nothing about weathering, chipping, and aging color modulation. He's still not clear on that when he says washes, panel lines, etc. Now, he may not do them all. He may not do them all well, but uh, he's doing them. It's making yeah. him better. 
And and listen, that is that is truly when you get down to it, the only way to get better is to do because you don't know if you can do it till you till you try it. So uh, you know, bottom line, you can watch all the YouTube videos you want, read all the books you want, but when push comes to shove, the only way to know whether you understand what's going on or that you can you can do it is to actually get in there and do it. Ah, stop being afraid of ruining it. Sure, lots of times. Uh, That's my big one. You get you get scared there, and uh, you want to make it better, but you're just scared of effing it up, basically. Yep. yep. It's, it's amazing what you can do if you just try. Absolutely true. Ben's top halftime report. We'll get into me trying stuff. And yeah, we'll talk about that. Try not to be afraid. Matt Dyer from Gilbert, Arizona. Congrats on the 50th episode. Thank you. Oh, and he's he's got a good point here. Uh, normally, he hates PE. Really, welcome to the club. But to kind of come around, he's he's he says you're so correct on this armored car craze, World War One armored car craze. So he snatched up the Hmong uh, British Rolls Royce armored car. Oh, 30, I like that 30, one. 35th scale, and it's got the photo etched wire basket wheels on it. Yeah, and uh, he says the kit's eight wheels took him as long as the rest of the model. But man, it was nowhere near, near as difficult as he thought it would be. And he just can't wait to paint it now because they're just going to look awesome. I agree. There's That's one of those things. You know, there are some times where photo etch can produce something that you can't produce even nowadays in modern injection plastic. So, yeah, I've, it has its uses. And, yeah, if you get it right, man, I'm with him. I, that armored car is one of my my favorite i can't wait to see he's got to send us a picture when he gets it uh done because uh that that's on my list as is everything else and finally mike Haggerty from farmington hills michigan which is a little north of detroit that's where yep. fiat chrysler of america is i wish i didn't know that but i do <laughs> previous job experience that's right uh he's Got a North Korean T-3485. He'd like some practice on practice before he starts building that particular kit. And I wonder if that's the uh, the Ryefield kit or if that's, well, that'd be a Chinese one, which could be a North Korean one, I guess. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Could be the old Dragon kit. They did a, a, a Chinese one. So he's asking, which is the best kit, which is a, that's kind of a loaded question, really, because they're all over the map. Um Right now, if I had to pick one and I've not built this kit, I'll give you that caveat. I've looked at it and I've followed the uh, Plastic Posse podcast's group build uh, for the uh, Ryefield Models T3485. That kit uh, is apparently pretty darn good. Now, I own the kit and I've looked at it, but uh, that's not always the way it looks on the sprues is not always the way it goes together. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, they produce some beautiful models uh, out in Las Vegas of those T-34s. I mean, oh, there were oh, some. Oh, yeah, they did. There were some amazing ones. Yeah. So, you know. And P.S., he's starting a Tamiya 72nd scale Wildcat tonight. Yes. Good choice. He's like us, man. 72nd scale aircraft and 35th scale armor. The collective is growing. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the Borg hive. Yeah. That wraps up the listener mail, Dave, but uh, we want to encourage folks to write in and uh, let us know what they think of the show, ask a question, whatever. You can send those emails to plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. So, uh, and tell us where you're from. We want to know. 
And you can reach out on Facebook through the Instant Messenger. Uh, that works as well. Sometimes they're a little bit harder to follow uh, because they're conversations rather than emails. But reach out however you can. We love to hear from you. Like I said, the community is the, is the, the big thing here. And now that we're done with uh, listener mail, this is my moment where I ask all of you when you're done listening to this episode, if you'd go to whatever podcatcher app you're using, Apple, uh, Stitcher, whatever, rate the podcast, give it five stars. Uh, It'll help us become more visible to more people and continue the growth. We're continuing to gain new listeners every day. And also, if you you have modeler friends who aren't listening to the podcast, uh, maybe some of them are older, maybe they have a, a mobile phone, but they don't know what a podcast is, reach out, help them, get them listening to the podcast. Uh, uh, a personal refer- reference is, uh, is the best way for us to gain a new listener. So if you do that for us, we'd consider that a big favor. And another big favor would be for you guys to enjoy all the other podcasts out there. Now, there's quite a few now, seven, eight, there's quite a few. You can find all those at modelpodcast.com, which is a consortium website we've set up with the help of Stuart Clark at Scale Model Podcast to create a single repository for all the modeling podcasts who want to be a part of that kind of consortium. So you can go to that website and there's links to all of them. We hope to add our blog and YouTube friends at some point. I don't think they're there yet. I thought they were in a prior episode, but I still don't think they're there yet. Of course, Stu's had some health issues, which is yes. understandable. Um, so modelpodcast.com, you can go check out all the other podcasts who are participating there and get into that content as, as well. In addition, please, please go visit our blog and YouTube friends out there on the, on the internet. Stephen Lee with Sprue Pie with Fretz. He's got a blog, a really good blog, short form, long form, both lots yep. of great articles out there, man. He's been uh, doing a, He's been hitting them out of the park lately. Last couple of weeks. Uh, his stuff has been must read. In addition to Steven, we got Chris Wallace, model airplane maker. He's got a blog and a YouTube channel. Uh, Chris is a great guy. His blog is really good, especially if you're into aircraft modeling and his, uh, his videos are going to help you out a lot. Yeah, I'm expecting to, him to drop another YouTube video. So if you're listening to this, uh, Mr. Wallace, get on it and give us another YouTube video. And our guest last episode, Mr. Jim Bates out on the West Coast to Scale Canadian TV. Uh, you can go check out his YouTube show there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Make you want to go get a tie-dyed t-shirt. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> not, not, to, not to steal his thunder, but on the next episode of, uh, of his YouTube show, um, I think there's going to be a guest. He's, uh, he's gotten himself a six year old pug, uh, named Cornbread. I have insisted that he, Cornbread should make an appearance in the next episode. So. Uh, tune in for that, if nothing else, because Cornbread is a pretty cute dog. And finally, Jeff Groves, Inch High Guy, and his Inch High Guy 172nd scale blog out on the internet. Uh, he's also 2021 Bad Influence of the Year on me. So, <laughs> Oh, man. I'm telling you, he's, he's got an infinite library. You're, you're, he's going to get you, man. Is it bigger it's than a, yours? Oh, God, yes. Jeff is a multi-talented man. And Jeff uh, builds bookcases for his library. Well, and you better buy them if it's that big. Oh, yeah. It is. He builds custom bookcases to house his library. Yeah. The, he is a he is one of those people like me who has the heart of a librarian. Um, and, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll keep you in books forever and a day. 
Finally, if you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, that's IPMS USA here in the United States or IPMS Canada up in the Great North, uh, IPMS Australia or New Zealand or IPMS UK, IPMS Norway. If you're not a member of your national organization, consider joining. These organizations are the umbrella organization that allows uh, modelers to have a society and organize local clubs and interact with other clubs. Uh, they do a lot of things besides putting on a national show and putting out a magazine, but they do both of those things as well. In fact, IPMS Canada's RT is, in my opinion, the finest modeling magazine that's currently out there. It is the one magazine that when I get it, I read all the articles cover to cover, no matter what the subject matter is. It reminds you very much of the old fine scale modeler when fine scale first came out. I can't recommend it enough. So if you're not a member of your IPMS national organization, please join. And for all you guys out there who've uh, listened to me and, and uh, gone ahead and done it, I want to tell you, thank you. I really appreciate that. It helps grow the organization. And right now uh, we're thriving. So please keep it up. Well, Dave, we've been rambling on a bit. Let's have a word from our sponsor. That sounds good. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. It's Wagon's Hope for Omaha, Dave. I'm telling you what, I am, I am getting more and more excited for Omaha every, every week. Well, at the time of this recording, Dave, we are 247 days away from packing the wagons for Omaha and the 2022 IPMS National Convention. And I'm getting excited, too, because we're about to the end of this year, and it's about to just really pop up on the radar big time for me. So, Yeah, after the first of the year... Uh, you know, they'll start announcing the seminar lineup. They'll start, they'll, they'll start, uh, opening up registration. You'll get the, all of the information if they're doing any tours or anything. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, this, you know, it'll be kind of quiet between now and, and New Year. But once January 1st comes around, there, are the, the news will start coming in hot and heavy. Well, you can keep up with all that news at IPMSUSA2022.com. It's the official convention website where you can find most of the pertinent information. Online registration starts February 1st of 2022. So you want to keep that in mind. Yep. register. Uh, for now on the website, it looks like you can maybe get your t-shirts and the trophy sponsorships are opening up. So there's a little bit of activity starting up. I'm sure they want yeah. to get a lot of that stuff done ahead of time. Don't don't wait on your t-shirts. Yes. And not only that, sponsor a trophy package. Or if you're part of a club, encourage your club to sponsor a trophy package. Those things really help out the local chapter who's, who's hosting the show. So consider a trophy package sponsorship. Well, I'm getting pretty excited about it. We got our rooms booked and hopefully most of the listeners do too or plan on going and uh yeah, I think, I think and it's gonna be it's gonna be a revolving door of friends and uh, listeners and party central. It's gonna be a good time. So yes, the two convention hotels are booked, but there are a bunch of hotels right around the convention hotel. So you know, there's there's still plenty of plenty of time and plenty of way to get a hotel room right near the convention. 
All right. Well, until next time, that's Wagons Hope for Omaha. All right. Let's uh, take a moment to listen to our newest sponsor, Tackets, and their ever-expanding line of hobby tool products. That's right. We've picked up a new sponsor here for a little bit. See how it goes. Tackett Z, Ed Tackett, or a friend from the club, the must-have tools for the model maker. Tell you what, Dave, I really recommend the small alligator clips on the printed pedestals. Yes. I've been using the crap out of those. You've been seeing that on the Facebook page. Yep. As a matter of fact, I was doing the same thing, using them because the pedestals are fairly heavy. You can use them to hold stuff while you're airbrushing it. Stays in place really well. I like pretty much everything of his that I've tried so far. Well, they've really integrated themselves nicely into my workflow, and they're really handy. So uh, you picked me up some of those at some point, and I appreciate it. Uh, Well, Tackett Z is going to be offering uh, PMM listeners a discount through January 15th, and you can get that at checkout with the uh, discount code PMM, and you get 20% off your purchase. So not a bad deal. No. All you got to do is uh, go in and Google Tackett's T-A-C-K-E-T-Z. That's right. So it's TackettZ.com. Please check him out. He's trying to get a little business off the ground and we want to help him out. So go see what he's got. Go buy something, man. It's a good discount. Speaking of your bench top, what's been going on there? As if uh, those of us who have been on the Facebook page uh, didn't know. A lot's been going on and hopefully we're getting to the end of folks having to hear about my ammo boxes and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the focus has shifted from the box itself. Pretty much. They, they kind of go glove in hand, right? So uh, this this sojourn that has been me on ammo boxes and ammunition rounds is almost complete and I'm about ready to move on. So really the live rounds are the last step and I'm four, four decals away from having it done. Learned some new techniques, haven't you? Well, I've tried some new things. Uh, you know, I talked about in the past uh, and I... Somebody recommended, well, it was Scott Dimmick, my old friend Scott, uh, using the uh, Mr. Color kind of chrome silver and then some of the clear coats, colored clears over that. I could see that working out really nice, but I just couldn't get it to where I wanted it and the time I wanted to get it done. So I kind of threw that to the wayside, maybe for some experimentation later. But for this project, I dug through the paint stash and I found a tester's brass metalizer after they absorbed the metalizer line. Uh, which isn't bad stuff, really. And uh, I sprayed that on the rounds, the shell casings in the live rounds. And then there was some mass painting to paint the uh, the grenades on the end of the live rounds. Quite a bit of work, actually, because the, the rounds have kind of a dark gray warhead on them. And then there's like these copper driving bands that all kind of artillery rounds of that size are bigger and actually smaller, too, have these copper driving bands. Man, Hobby Town here in Lexington is needs to stock the paint racks. A little, <laughs> little, little more often. Uh, so the, the the copper I came home with after going to look was Tamiya, which isn't the best brush painting paint out there by any yep. means. But I had the retarder on hand, so I, I mixed up a little of that, and, and I painted the driving bands, and it looked all right. But then uh, I went back to that uh, that Citadel shader I talked about ages ago. Gosh, it's been a long time now. Several of separate several episodes. Uh, there's a color called Nuln Oil, oil uh, N U L N Oil, and it's a, one of their shader colors. It's kind of like a wash, but not really because it's it's not like low surface tension that runs everywhere. It kind of stays where you put it, mm-hmm. and it dries. Well, there's two. There's 
null oil regular and then there's null oil gloss. So I'm using the regular, which dries a nice matte shade. Uh, I went back over the copper and kind of cut in the, the, the driving bands and all the little demarcation lines. And I was really pleased with the way it came out because the stuff dries like dead flat. Uh, so it really, it really muted the copper down to something look like more like tarnished copper, you know? And, uh, you know, I'd recommend folks give that stuff a try. I, it's, it's an interesting product. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know the, you know, the Warhammer guys use, use the crap out of, especially shading metallic armor, armor and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to think how I got turned on to that. It was either TJ from plastic posse, maybe, or it was one of their guests, John bias who, uh, He's got the YouTube channel. He's been a guest of theirs a couple of times. It certainly looks good. I mean, uh, those things really look nice. And the thing that I was super impressed by was you put decals on a metallic surface and they look great. They looked as if they'd been painted on with masks or something. And, you know, that was one of the things I was worried about because that metalizer in the raw looks pretty, pretty good. Yes. So I was like, well, man, do I want to put a clear coat on this? Or after I put decals on it. So I was like, well, it's smooth enough. I'm not going to put anything on it ahead of time. Right. So I, I decaled the the mini art decals just using the Microsoft solutions straight over the paint. I tell you, mini arts decals, at least the ones in, the, in this kit, uh, really re- reacted well to the the Microset and the Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not going to need any top coat. Now, they look great. Uh, do you know if those are cartograph printed or uh, I have no Cause idea. Sometimes it actually says on the decal sheet it, printed it does, by. Right. It doesn't say the carrier film spot printed, which you know what I mean by that. It's like, right. It's not a full sheet of clear with the color printed on it. Right. It's a, uh, it's like micro scale. Yes. And super scale sheets where the, the clear is just a blob. And then the, the color is printed over that, which, uh, yep. That tech, that technique of printing decals works really well for hiding the edges of the decal. Yep. Because you really don't want to cut into that any closer than that clear film is printed on the, on the backing paper because it's got a kind of a tapered edge. Yes, it does. It It actually tapers out at the edge. And if you cut it, then, then you get a harder edge. That's right. So those have worked out really, really nice. And I, and I joked online the other night that they ought to make decal sets for bare metal aircraft. (laughs) <laughs> because they, it just vanished. Yeah. And I really couldn't believe it. So it all came together. Now, another thing I did on those rounds is the very tip of them are red. So what I did for that is I put a couple of drops of one of the Vallejo reds, their dark red, matte, dark, flat, dark red into, uh, into a empty well on my, my aluminum palette and a couple of drops of their airbrush thinner or something and, and stirred that up. And I got it the right depth by checking with an extra part. And I just dipped the tips of the rounds in there. They look good, man. I'm telling you what, I don't think you could have gotten a good, a, a, as good a result, even masking. Well, it's too small to mask and is on a conical, yeah. conical tip of a round. So masking would have been a, a pain, a pain or a challenge depending on how you did it, but, uh, it came out good. I'm, I'm going to slap these last four decals on those. And you know, that's going to feel like a modeling project that got finished. Yes. And that is that is the key, I think, and we've mentioned this before. Uh, when you're doing a larger project, especially if you're doing something diorama-like, if you approach each of particular items as a sub-model, as a model unto themselves, like let's say you're di- doing a diorama and you want a tree, and so you're going to model the tree 
if you approach that as if it's its own model rather than just part of the groundwork, I think that you end up producing something better because you, you're, you're giving it its own attention. I mean, you spent, you didn't just paint the boxes, slap some decals on it and go, you approach those as if you were building just the boxes and the shell casings. And, and we've talked about that aspect of dioramas before yeah. Re- quite recently episode or two ago about how some of them are let down by the, all the peripheral work is not quite up to the standard of the, of the thing at thing at center stage. Yes. So I'm trying to avoid that. We'll see where it goes. Yep. Well, that's really, well, the, the Moose Roo Cup Gundam has gotten a little love. I was going to say before you, before you move on and say, that's all I've gotten done. I know for a fact that you've been doing at least a little bit on the Moose Roo. I did quite a bit last night. I probably worked an hour and a half on it. You know, it's going together nice. I'm, you know, still trying to figure out what I got to trim and sand and all that and what I don't. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to dedicate a little bit of my modeling week to that and knock out a step or two along the way. And it, it should get done pretty quick if I if I keep that up because it's you know the construction is not that hard to be honest. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do in the painting and weathering, man. So now I'm done. That's all I got. So what about you, man? Okay. What, are you, what are you working on? Well, I've I've uh, been making progress, as I said. Uh, uh, I, my modeling bench has not gone dark as it has in some years past. Um, uh, the ResKit TU-128 wheels are now completed, and I'm going to start weathering them. Uh, I'm actually going to use the armory set of TU-128 wheels that I got painted and decided they weren't very good as uh, a weathering mule to experiment on some stuff before I I use it on the res kit set. The Mosquito is painted and decaled. Decaling took me, it, uh, it took probably three and a half weeks to decal this thing because of what I was doing and the way I was doing it. I, you know, there were, many nights where I could only put one decal on just a single decal, like a single letter code or a single serial number. Uh, so it took a lot longer to decal than it should have, but it's done. And now it's, uh, uh, I've only got really one. I've got to, uh, gloss code over it and then I'm going to start weathering it and, I've got one big challenge, which is the the mosquito, the back half of the windscreen or of the canopy doesn't have frames like a normal aircraft does. It has a tubular frame inside that the canopy perspex was actually riveted to or attached to. And it it has a really unique look. Most people who build a mosquito in 72nd scale, they will just mask it as if the whole thing was done with regular frames. And that's what I'd have done too. But one of the other Septemberists and might've been Jim Bates uh, pointed out to me that no, the mosquito has a different type. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's one of those things that like, no, I can't compromise on that. Once I've seen that, I can't compromise. So I had to come up with a 
how I was going to replicate that. And, uh, I may, I may get into my first foray in soldering because right now my plan is to form that tubular frame with very fine copper wire and then solder the frame together. We'll see. That's my last big challenge. And then the rest of the thing at this point, it's, you know, put the, put the pieces on, weather it and, and it, it looks the prospect of it being done by the end of the year, pretty good. And, uh, finally, after almost six months of a hiatus, cause frankly, I was a coward cause the M30 looks really, really good to me for my, uh, first 35th scale artillery piece in 20, 30 years. I started doing the painting using the Citadel metallic colors in the barrel and then on the breech uh, before, which is the stuff I have to do with some detail painting before it's uh, weathering. And then that's it as far as, you know, dust and mud and, and chipping. Um, and I got to say, uh, John Charvat and some of the other modelers, I I posted that I'd finally sacked up and and started doing this, and they were very encouraging for me conquering the fear because that's what it was. It's you get to a project, things are looking so good, and you're just at that point frozen by fear. So I finally conquered that and. Uh, it's moving along. It's possible that it could be done by the end of the year or early next year. All right. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with your Thank canopy. You. That sounds like Thank a lot you. of work. <laughs> it, 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 it's going to be a challenge. We're going to see. So, Mike, uh, you've been buying anything lately? Yes, I've been buying a little bit. Up in Cincy. We were up in Cincy. Uh, I know well, you bought something in Cincy. That's true, but I'll, I'll start with something different. Um, I've been wanting to try the paints from... Hataka out of Poland. Yes. So I've got a, a favorite eBay seller out there that I buy from fairly regularly. And, and he had these. So I bought all three Polish armor sets. Now these three sets have the same four colors in them. So this is kind of an experiment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an acrylic set. There's a second acrylic set that's optimized for brush painting. And then there's a lacquer set. Right. So they, call, all, they call them orange line and blue well, and blue and, blue and red. red. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Orange, blue and red. I think orange is the uh acrylic lacquer. Not well, it's the lacquer, yes. Yeah. And then the I think the blue blue line's a brush paint and the other the red or whatever it is is the the regular acrylic. So I guess I'm going to start something Polish at some point before this paint goes bad. Gee, um could something like a TKS or a 7TP or something like uh, that? I mean, yeah, it's going to be one of those two. <laughs> well, you know, I've got a TKS kit here. So do I. Close by. Maybe we have to do it. Well, you mentioned Cincinnati. So while I was up there, you talked me into a Matchbox Supermarine Walrus in 72nd school. <laughs> I hope that's because I'm an evil person. It's in the it's in the Ravel box, but it's, it's, it's the old Matchbox kit. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody had a bunch of stuff on half off. So I picked up a, what's my plan for getting better project, which was a Williams brothers, Ford Fliver in 48 scale. (laughs) Definitely a weird, weird subject. Well, but it's, it's gloss, it's gloss blue and bare metal. Yeah. 
So yep. two things, two things I'd like to be better at. And in 48 scale, it's not, it's smaller than a lot of 70 second scale fighter planes. It is. It is. So it's like a flying go-kart really. Yeah. Which is kind of what it was invented at, at that point. Uh, Henry Ford thought that people would, instead of driving cars would be flying airplanes. So he was trying to make an, an airplane for the masses. And at that same table, there was from uh, AMG, which is a, uh, I think it's a Ukrainian company. It is. A Soviet NKL-26 Aeroson in 35th scale. I've already got one. I've got an aftermarket engine for one, but it was like $6. <laughs> That's an automatic buy price. Speaking of which, did you see Trumpeters announced an Aeroson? Uh I need to go look at look at that. They, they make an NKL twenty six, but it's it sucks. This, this is this is a different one. Okay, well they've got a couple others already. I, I'm curious what this one is. I will have to go look. Well, other than that, I've I bought a static grass applicator off eBay. Oh, I want to get one of those. And uh, I bought a Valum Supermarine Seagull five, which is the same thing as a Walrus Mark one, which is kind of the same thing as the Matchbox kit I just bought, but. Uh, <laughs> It's a better looking kit. I don't know if it goes better together any better, but uh, it certainly got a little more finesse to it than the old Matchbox. So that's what yeah. I've bought. What about you? Well, you know what? Uh, my wallet's been a little bit broken. Not too bad. As you mentioned, we went to Cincinnati. And in Cincinnati, I purchased the Detail and Scale. Uh, Detail and Scale's been around forever. They do really great modeling books for that basically are focused, most of them are focused on walk-arounds of a particular subject and a, a all of the sub-variants and all the detail changes for them, those sub-variants. But they've also, they also produce uh, books that aren't focused on one aircraft, but on one particular subject. And they've done a book recently called Carrier-Based Aircraft of World War II, U.S. Navy and Marine Carrier-Based Aircraft of World War II. And it is all of the fighters, scout, dive bombers, torpedo bombers, and attack aircraft, uh, including prototypes that were designed and produced during World War II. And there's a, a few pages on each one and some detail photos. But the reason I really got this book is that it also has in the back the information on the Navy paint schemes pre-war, the yellow wing schemes, and all the different color variations and what they meant on a particular aircraft because the different tail colors denoted the different uh, carrier the aircraft was assigned to. The cowling colors denoted the sections that the aircraft were were uh, assigned to on that carrier, et cetera, et cetera. And then the real bonus for me, it had the uh, carrier tail recognition markings from 43, 44, and then the what are called G markings from 45 uh, with illustrations of all of the markings from all the different uh, carriers. And this is a particular, this is a particular favorite subject of mine. And uh, to have these very nicely illustrated and all gathered in one place for a quick handy reference, I couldn't pass that up. Uh, detail and scale, I recommend it highly. I picked up uh, some resin engines for a 72nd scale B-17 
They were produced by Attack, which was a resin company that eventually evolved into Arma, but they sold off the resin line, and I can't remember who they sold it to. I picked up some SBS photo etch detail for the Gladiator in 72nd scale. Then as we were leaving the show, uh, a vendor had one of the Mobius model skipjack 72nd scale subs. And uh, I was able to do a little bit of the last minute negotiation, you know, the, hey, you don't want to pack that up and got it for a good price. And now, as I mentioned last episode, I'm searching for the G-Factor brass propeller, which was produced by G-Factor at one point, but I can't seem to find it anywhere. So if any of you out there know where one is, uh, let me know, because I'd like to pick that up. And then finally, I ordered from our friend Dr. Strangebrush. Arma has come out with the F4F4 uh, version of the Wildcat in 72nd scale. And this was released just uh, a, a couple of months ago. And uh, through Dr. Strange Brush, I ordered a couple of those kits. So those should be on the way to me at some point in the near future. So I've got decals waiting for those. We've been pretty busy too there. I have been a little bit busier than I intended to be. All right, Dave. Well, it's time for our special segment tonight, Dave. It's a stug life. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, we've been running our mouths about having a Sturmgeschütz three episode special segment, given the uh, the amount of kits on this topic that have been released over the last half a year, I guess, or probably less than that, actually. So we finally put it together with the help of uh, Mr. Evan McCallum, a.k.a. Panzermeister 36 who shares this vehicle as a favorite interest with me. So we had a lot of fun, Dave, and uh, we're, we're going to let everybody enjoy that. So let's get into that. Well, Dave, we've got a guest again tonight. Evan McCallum, a.k.a. Panzermeister36, is back with us once again. Evan, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Ah, we're great. We thank you for coming back. We've been uh, running our mouths about this Sturmgeschütz episode we've been talking about doing. It's uh, finally got to uh, where we could get you on here and uh, get this actually uh, recorded and make good on our promise. So hopefully it's something you want to talk about. Oh, absolutely. I was surprised when you said that you wanted a Stoke 3 episode, but I guess after the T-34 episode, right? You know, just listen to somebody ramble for a couple hours about <laughs> the tank they love. I think so, and uh, we'll have to get Dave an aircraft at subject at some point to let poor Dave uh, out of the closet. Okay, I just w- I just want to know from the two of you who the heck declared twenty twenty one slash twenty twenty two the year of the stug because all of a sudden these things are coming out of the woodwork yeah. in ways that I've never seen for any other particular subject. So what did you all, did did somebody finally answer your fan mail or what? <laughs> well, I mean, we've had it before. Like, you know, 2016, you had TACOM and Tamiya put out the Amex 13. Then in 2017, I think in 2018, we had all those King Tigers coming out from Mang and yeah. everybody. And then the Panthers, they all seem to come in bunches. And I think it's because somebody does a technical package and they sell it off to more than one manufacturer. And I don't mind it because then you get, you usually get some variations and you get competition. So I think that helps keep the prices down. And also I think that definitely helps focus a lot of aftermarket support very quickly on when these big blobs of 
you know, 20 tiger tanks come out. I mean, it, it gets a little bit excessive, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, that's, <laughs> I had never thought that that was a possibility is that you've got somebody behind the model companies doing the basic research and then selling information packages. I guess that's a possibility. That's how I understand it works for a lot of these companies. I'm not, I mean, I'm not in the industry, right? But I've heard people talk about it like that. I imagine some of them do their own work, but when it comes to a lot of these companies that are very kind of similar, you know, like Border, Tacom, Meng, I imagine that there is some kind of cross-pollination like that. Well, Border just gets its stuff from old wing nut wings mold. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> At least not, not in this segment. We're not have to talk not, about that at some point. Oh not in this segment. Well, for, for this one, though, this one's an interesting subject. Not just for Evan and myself. This has uh, got a lot of appeal, and I think it's a, it, because it's such an interesting vehicle, fundamentally. The Sturmgeschütz was a very purpose-built vehicle. The Sturm artillery was, its initial intent was to support infantry units in the absence of other armor, typically. And you can just watch the evolution of this vehicle as, as it's kind of its role it's it's kind of victim of scope creep as we call it in the engineering world. Um, it gets tasked with more and more type duties, and you see this thing as the Ausführungs advance from A to G. Uh, this thing gets more and more refined up until you get to the last G models when it's got just about every whistle and bell they can put on it, and the Sturmgeschütz is doing everything for the German army that it could possibly do. Evan, why do you think it's so popular? Well, I think kind of what you said there was a good. As a good start to it. There are so many different versions of the vehicle. And since it served for, you know, it, it's probably the longest serving vehicle in the German army because they That's built true. them yeah. from like 37 to 45. It, along with the Panzer IV, are really the only armored vehicles like that, armored combat vehicles that were used for the entire war, right? The other ones like the Panzer III gets cut off and the things like the Tiger show up later. But it is, it's like in every theater that the Germans were in, of course, you'll see many Stugs in the Pacific, but there's in every theater, you know, you can, you have basically every like camouflage option and you know, so many marking options. And of course, since there's just so many of them made like 10,000 plus vehicles, there's never any absence of interesting reference photos and variations and so on that can be inspirational for building a really interesting vehicle. Well, we want to touch on the versions and, and what those on a, at a high level, what those well, what those entail, or Dave, what do you right, got there? Right before you do that, let me ask one question: Were the Germans the first people to come up with the infantry assault gun vehicle in this format, like this? I mean, did, had somebody in another country come up with, "Hey, wouldn't it be a good idea for us to produce a turretless"? big gun infantry assault assistance vehicle. Honestly, I'm not too knowledgeable on other countries when it comes to this kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, uh, I don't think I can answer that too well, but do you got anything, Mike? I I think they did. Uh, Yeah, it seems like it's obvious, right? But I can't currently think of something. But fundamentally, it's just, I mean, there's other vehicles that are similar, right? But they're usually open-topped, lightly armored. The Stug is a little bit more more of a hybrid between like a basic infantry support vehicle to an actual tank. And the zero series prototypes were built like 30, what five or six, something like that. Yeah. They're, they're really early. 
So most countries were still developing basic, they're trying to figure out the tank at that point. So, yeah. yeah. So no, I think it was in that sense ahead of its time. Um, it, it, it doesn't have a turret. So some would argue that it was not ahead of its time, but I think when you look at the, the dedicated role it was created for, uh, that makes a lot more sense. So at that time, most countries were still having problems putting big guns in turrets. That's why you have things like the M3 Grant. And then, of course, at that time, when the Stug's coming out in the late 30s, the common tank gun is 20, 37 millimeter. Um, but, it, I mean, I wasn't any tank. It's it's just for that high explosive punch for infantry with the 75 millimeter howitzer. But then, of course, later on, that changed. Well, we can talk about some of these versions at a high level, I think, uh, not get into the, you know, where the axe was on the fender kind of level. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> why don't you take us through it, Evan? Okay. Well, you start off with the, what everyone calls the, well, because of the mini art kit, everyone calls the O series. In reality, it has this really long name. It's like, you know, a Selpsifarlafetta pack something. And even I forget it. It's just basically, it's a long word that basically means it's a self-propelled infantry support howitzer and that's the prototype series those five vehicles that were soft steel and they were just essentially well they were just kind of like can this work and they are they're more unique because they use the panzer 3 house b chassis which has extra road, road wheels and that weird suspension that mini art did with their panzer threes and then of course they then released the stug based on that and then of course you get into the actual production series which the first bunch of versions all kind of look the same to most people we got the house a b c d and e are all the standard you know short guns at 75 millimeter at that point you're just getting in minor changes like you know we're going to increase the tracks a little bit for better flotation changing the radio setup and the gun sight and so on but it's just kind of at that point they're just changing a little bit that that infantry support version but then when the war in Russia starts to go on, they realize that it's more critical that they have anti-tank capability because some of the tanks they're encountering, like the T-34 and the KV-1, are quite good. <laughs> and the German tanks at the time, with their 37mm and 50mm guns, were having some issues. So that's why you then see the Panzer IV go to the long 75 and the same thing on the Stug. So the Aus F was the first long gun Stug, you could say. There were some prototypes on the Aus V. We can talk about that later, but the Aus F is just an Aus E, the perfected short gun stug, but with a longer gun in it. And then eventually they made an even longer 75, slightly longer. And then you get into the Aus F slash eight, which is just kind of weird that they didn't have F slash eight after they had F. And after that, they go to G. <laughs> I don't know why they did F eight. It's a little bit dumb, but. Um, yeah, and then by the time you get to the G, they kind of stop changing the Ausverhung notation because with, you know, like Aus A to Aus B, you have very little changes. In, in fact, the differences between the Aus C and the Aus D is they changed the locks on the transmission cover and they added an improved intercom for the crew. So you can't usually tell the difference looking at them. So earlier on, such minor changes give you a whole new version, a new Aus X. But then when you get to the G, you start having, at this point, basically two years of changes that don't entail any new Aus name. They're all the Aus of G, and that's why you start to see kits that's like Aus G initial, Aus G 
early, aus g mid, aus g late, aus g final. And you see the same thing with Panzer IVs, where they, they're just kind of perfecting it and doing slow changes, adding things like side skirts, grenade launchers, taking the grenade launchers off, and machine guns on the roof. And and I love the long guns jokes, and I really love the aus g And I'm currently building a lot of different versions to explore the technical advancement of it. Because even though the SFG is just the SFG, like I said, there's a lot of different changes to it that I find to be interesting. I was going to ask you that. Um, I can have two favorite versions. I like the ease. I like the what you just said was the perfected short barrel, which at that point they'd finally figured out the radio arrangement. And for, for what they were trying to do at that point with the Sturm artillery, it was kind of the high tide for the short barrel version. But uh there was less of a need for that that length of gun at that point because that's what forty two, yeah. And my other favorite is is the G. It's the final ones, the, the the ones that were just they had everything. They had the travel lock on the front. They had a coaxial gun on the uh, with alongside the main gun. They had the remote MG on the roof. They also had the close defense weapon on the roof. Uh, they were pretty much kitted out to do anything it needed to do. And that's the one I, that's, those are the two I really like. And I kind of, I got a soft spot for the very first G's as well. The ones with the, the steep uh, armor oh. in front of the radio sponsons and then the, uh, the pistol ports on the sides. Yeah. No, I find personally, I find interest in unique versions. So this is a, a theme with a lot of the things that I find interesting in modeling. If I'm going to build a T-34, I'm not going to build a T-34. I'm going to build like, you know, a cool version, maybe the stamped turret or the 57 millimeter gun. So when I'm on the Stugs, usually I'll be like, okay, I'm going to build the F-8 with the flamethrower, the prototype for that, or the this this <laughs> G with the, with the swinging side skirts you see later on, or maybe something with concrete armor. Um, and then, like I said earlier on, with the Stug 3, since there's so many of them made and there's so many photographs of them, there's never any there's you're never missing any inspiration you can always find cool photos of them with like t34 stowage boxes welded on and it's just like yeah there's always so much inspiration for building unique vehicles which is what i find to be most inspirational well if we're going to build unique vehicles or standard vehicles we need some kits (laughs) and boy we've sure got them I, i think uh to talk about this uh, we can talk about it a lot of ways, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit, you know, from my modeling journey. Gosh, when I first started, the the ancient Tamiya Sturmgeschütz was was the only one. Um, if you wanted to build a late one, you had to like kit bash a Stug Four superstructure onto an old crappy Tamiya Panzer Three or something like that. <laughs> uh, then there were some resin kits that came out that were were okay. I think Sovereign was a company who made a, a CD that I built. Um, and then MB models here in the United States kitted a lot of the early versions up through F8, what I call the, you know, the early ones, a turtle top superstructure. But for some reason back then, I don't know how it got down this road, but uh, there was a school of folks who thought that the, the center section of the Sturmgeschutz roof was slanted back toward the engine deck. So, the the very front of the superstructure was the highest point and, and it started getting lower as you went toward the rear. So they had this kind of, you know, 
Ford Mustang fastback <laughs> kind of look to them. And uh, they, they weren't really, I, I don't know. I can't remember how that got started, but in the nineties to me, a re-kitted their G and it's not bad. It's kind of a mismatch of, of production uh, details. Uh, so I don't, I think it's kind of down the road far enough that we don't need to say a lot about that one. Yeah. Um, it's a good kit to build uh, from a technical or engineering standpoint, but uh, uh, as far as accuracy goes, it's 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 probably not the best game in town. I mean, that's what you expect from '90s Tamiya kits. You know, they're they're really fun to build. The accuracy isn't exactly what you're looking for in those kits, but they're they're definitely a fun project for anybody who just wants to build something cool. And then Dragon came along, and. Well, Dave will have to have me mention the the Gunzi Sanyo kit of the Stug G that came out. Well, geez, it only gave you your nickname in the club, so yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, required. That's true. Now, now those were injection molded, new tooled lower hulls and, and suspension components. With for some reason a white metal. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this, this is still way before my time, but I'm, I'm yeah, aware of it, these. it was. You're, you're aware of those. So I had one for a while, never built it, got rid of it. Because just better crap came along. Because Dragon came along at some point, right? So, um, Dragon's Sturmgeschütz kits are, man, they are all over the place. Uh, a lot of those early ones, some of them are even uh, labeled their Imperial series. Yep. Uh, those have the Gunsanyo lower hull and suspension components in them. Now, I don't know if they got the tools and they remolded them, but uh, I don't. I'm not sure exactly when the 100% dragon tooled Sturmgeschütz kits started showing up, but uh, they've pretty much kitted most of the major variants at this point, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. When you get into no longer the 90s, but now the 2000s, when Dragon comes out with their Smart Kit series, which is what you can still most commonly buy today, then you start getting a lot of a lot of kits. I don't know how many Dragon Stug kits there are, but there's probably more than 30, maybe even 40. If you look at all the different versions that they did, even just the smart kit versions, but they did a lot. I mean, there's still some gaps in their line. Um, they they didn't really do. Well, I guess we're going to talk about all the kits now, right? But basically, the Dragon kits, they have a kit of every single version. Those A, B, C, D, E, F, F8, and G. But when it comes to the G, there's a whole lot of different options. And Dragon currently. Even now, they don't really have any good late Stug options. They've got their kit, which is number 6593, which is just kind of not great. I mean, it, it works. It's a kit, but it's not really accurate. What is really saturated with the Gs, the House of G, is the earlier 1943, kind of like Battle of Kursk era kits. But we've seen with the, some of the releases recently that there's some good late ones coming out to fill this gap in the market. Well, that that raises a question for me. Okay, the the late nineties, early two thousand dragons kit, dragon kits, dragon goes on a tear and produces all of these different versions. So, what is it that has caused twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two to become the year of the stug? I mean. I know molding technology has increased and, and certainly CAD design and other stuff, but what is it that do you think that suddenly caused all these different manufacturers to, to decide now's the time 
to upgrade the entire stug line. Let's back up a minute because there was one more player before all this stug storm started happening. <laughs> stug um, storm. I like that. We need to we need to trademark that. Uh, Bronco. Bronco tried to get in the game a little bit. Yes. Now and they've got a Bronco did a really good job with their short gun stug kits. I think they're better than the dragon ones. So what do you think of this? You just told me, but but why? I mean, let me preface that a little differently. Why why do you think they're better? The dragon short gun stugs, that was C D and so on, are kind of sloppy kits because they've they're taking like it's the standard dragon 2010-15 thing where they're like, we don't want to mold any new parts, so we're just gonna kind of give you a later vehicle and mix it with like Panzer three parts. And then you can just kind of cut off this part of this plate. And then they have like, you know, they're just showing you how to do surgery, which I guess is quote real modeling, but (laughs) (laughs) it, and then you have like things where there's, you know, there's the tool arrangements different. So now you got these big locating tabs in the fender tread pattern. How do you get rid of those? So some of those dragon kits, you know, people know about this. If they built dragon kits where it's a version, a vehicle that's, had multiple boxings where you get sloppy cash grab kind of feelings. I've got a couple of those recently, but Broncos uh, kits, they did out C slash D coming with the option for the upgunned variant with the long gun. They got a D with the DAC, like the desert version, which is pretty cool. And they've got an E and then an E late, which is just a E with a different stowage arrangement for the tools essentially. And those kits are, you know, they're I think they're really good. I would definitely build them instead of the dragon offerings of those versions. They're a little oh, soft. They're a little soft in detail, but you know, I still like them. Because I've got dragons that the latest boxing, that last boxing that they're smart kit E. <laughs> yeah, I saw Adam Man do a video on that one. He didn't seem very impressed. Yeah, it's got a lot of sprues in it. <laughs> now, now we, you've built one of the Broncos, right? Yes, I've built I built two of them actually. I built their um, the CD upgun version, which I really liked, and I also built. Um, I've got an E that I'm building as one of the hybrid test bed vehicles, where they put the long gun in the E, which became the F. But I'm building it as that, and, and I think these kits are really good. One thing we didn't touch on yet, though, is that Tammy also has their Aus B. Yeah, their new kit, right? Yeah, and it comes with a little bit of photo etch, like the fenders, and it's got the metal gun barrel, or not not the fenders. It comes with a little bit of photo etch for the meshes on the grills, and it comes with the metal gun barrel. And that kit uh, is is really really good. I would recommend that also instead of the Dragon House B. <laughs> so basically, if you want to build a short gun stug, don't buy a Dragon kit. Buy the Tamiya one or the Bronco <laughs> ones. If you want to build a long gun stug, well, then you're kind of stuck with Dragon today. But in the coming months, that's going to change. Well, let's let's get back to Dave's point about this deluge of stinking Sturmgeschütz kits. And, you know, uh, all our conversation tonight is going to be centered around 35th skill kits. You know, there's a whole there's a whole other ball game. You're talking small scale and then that uh, there's at least two 16th scale kits. There's th- there's three boxings of two kits, I believe, in yeah. 16th scale that are that are due out. But uh, Bef- before you go on to 35th scale. Let let us pause for just a second. There are, what, two or three 16th scale kits suddenly announced, but they're not wildly different versions? No. No, this is a common thing. And when we get to talking about these kits that are coming on 35th scale, you always get, like, I mean, the same thing with the the Panthers. You always get, like, 
the same version made by three companies. And it's a little bit like, you know, can't you build a different version and make me have more options? Yeah, I wonder why for the 16th scale kits, I would have thought that at least one of the manufacturers would have gone in a different direction. Well, the DAS Work kit, which is the first one announced, you know, the one with the partial interior and stuff, it's yeah. based off of the engineering from the TACOM Blitz 135th scale kit that came out around August 2020. Um, it's the same version of vehicle. I mean, um, they changed the engineering a little bit. They added more well detail in some spots, and it's like a few changes, right? They added the word continental on the on the rubber, for example. But it's it's the same like engineering package to make that kit, but now they just made it in 116 scale. And since it's DAS work and their connection to Trumpeter is commonly there, that kind of makes sense. Um, but then, the, did I say Trumpeter? I meant TACOM. But but the other 16th scale is a trumpeter kit, yes. and somebody else is reboxing that one. Yes, yeah, so they got the trumpeter kit in 116th scale, which has an interior, and it's being reboxed without the interior by like Heller or like Monochrome, some brand I've never heard of or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's uh, I think there's a lot of early G's in museums, for example. So that's a that might be one of the reasons why they're easy to measure, and it's a little bit more simple, of course, because you're not having all those late war kind of weird features on them. Well, let's slip up to about 2021, I guess. <laughs> yes. I mean, if we're talking about the um, the new kits, we have to start with the one that came out about a year ago, which was the DAS, or sorry, the, the which is the TACOM Blitz 135th scale Stug 3G early, which was, it came out of nowhere, right? Like we, we this, we had like a new Stug. Wow, this, this was really great. And that kit, I think is really, really good. As a tack on blitz kit, it's a little bit simplified, right? Because it's more like a, a Tamiya kind of easy build style. So the detail is a little bit soft and there's, you know, not as much photo wedge as if you were building something from another brand. But that's a really, really uh, a good kit, I think, which is an early G. Now you also have early Gs already on the market from like Dragon, for example, and kind of the Tamiya kit. But then now we've got um, five new kits announced. As of time of recording this, you know, in the next couple of days, there could be another seven announced. I don't, I don't know how these companies work. <laughs> it is the year of the Stug, so yeah, twenty twenty two. I think is going to be the year of the Stug. I guess. I was looking at Scalemates while we're talking, and, and they have some errors here. the The Das Works kit is it the Tacom kit or the Dragon kit? Oh, the Das Work um, thirty thirty fifth scale with the Zimmerit. Yeah, yes. that is just Dragon uh, six four five four reboxed which is all right because that, that that's a good kit like that dragon the dragon zimmerit molded on kits are good but they're hard to find but now when these companies at least when that's work re-released that one you know it's easier to get that that decent kit so so the the tacom one was first yes of this kind of 2021 glut we've got um and then ryefield's got one borders got one and now well, Arts got one. No, because I think and, they each have like two because they're they're announcing it with and without interior. There's two kit sure, numbers yes. for these. Right. Which I guess is all right. Because I mean, I, I'm not a fan of interiors because they're a pain in the butt. <laughs> That's why I don't build aircraft because I like to build it and then paint it. And if I have to build part of it and then paint it and then, and then cover it all up in the end anyways with the roof, it's a little bit sad. But Ev- Evan, we, we got Mike building float planes. We, we can get you too. <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to do a full interior one of these because I just have to, right? That's how it works. Yeah. I know which one I got my eye on. 
Which one is that border model? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess we can talk about these new kits. So first we got the, I'm going to talk about the TACOM one, which is because they released, like we said before, well, one year ago, they came up with their early G in the Blitz line. And now we've got the TACOM announcing they've got a Shug slash Sturmhabitza, which is the same thing with the 105 gun. Instead, um, they've got that kit coming out, which from the, the sprues looks like same style as their one from last year. But since it's an, it's a late version. Um, yeah, it's a really late one. Yeah, really late. Like, you know, basically late 44, early 45, which I think is like one of the cooler versions. Um, it, it looks it looks really impressive, but it'll be a little bit more of a simplified kit compared to some of the other guys because it's attack on blitz kit. And it's a good, it's a good release. Cause before, like I said, um, dragon dragon only has one late kit offered. It's not that good. It's also super rare. I bought two of them recently for a hundred dollars each, um, about two months before border model. <laughs> Cause that's so, just how it works. Right. So, so, you, so we have you to thank for the new kit. Yeah. yeah. Because I, you because I decided fall, you took the fall. Yeah. Cause yeah. I decided to do it myself. <laughs> then that's when the kits come out every time. So similarly to that, uh, tack on late vehicle, we also have the border model late Stuck G, which has, also the full interior option and it looks like it's got the crew as well depending on what version you get and that's i mean it's kind of the same version of the vehicle it's late i don't think there's the the howitzer variant in there as well not sure yeah, but not yet it's next week yeah no that's they're probably just going to rebox it with the different gun right right <laughs> but that one will be i mean it's border model so it might be a little bit kind of more like verging on dragon with lots of instruction errors because that's what sometimes happens but if it's the first in a line of kits, usually it's pretty good because they can't make it messy if it's just the first version, right? Well, I'm looking at these Ryfield and Border early versions, and Border early version? Not that, the, no, it's the late version. I'm sorry. Well, there's um, there's mini arts doing the early version. That's right. I'm sorry. The the let's talk about the uh, the Ryfield one for a minute. Yes, this one's not that early, really. <laughs> Well, it's like an early forty-three, right? They don't have the side skirts on it yet, right? But it's it's, it's got the it's got the shallow armor on the radio sponsons. Yeah, the sh- the shoulder armor, I think they call it. So it, it's pretty much the same as like the Dragon Six Three Two Zero, the standard Dragon kit, and it's also the same as the Tacon Blitz kit that came out last year. Same version. It's like a Miag factory early out of G, basically like March forty-three. But it's Ryfield models, so you know it's going to be a little bit more detailed and have more photo etch, and also it has the option of the interior, workable tracks, and everything like that. So that's more, more my style, I guess, than the Tacon Blitz. But it just depends on what you want to build. And then, of course, like two weeks after they came out with that, Mini Art said, "Oh yeah, we'll do that too." And now we have two Mini Art, <laughs> two of them. They got an, they got basically the same version again, um, like a March forty three. Stoke 3G with the interior. Actually, no, that one doesn't have the interior because they came with two and only one is the interior. The one that has the interior is the February 43, completely different than March, which is just, it just has a special I, fender arrangement, basically hybrid fenders. But nobody had done this one before. No, uh, no, no. I, um, I kitbashed it from Dragon, 
about well, about a year before <laughs> they came out with this. So once again, we can thank me for. <laughs> kind of sucks but, though but, because I've built all these versions and now these kits come out. But why would I buy them now? Because I've already built them. <laughs> well, I think this February one's kind of neat because you can do it in Panzer Gray. Yeah, because they hadn't introduced the Dunkelgelp yet. And it's again, it like other other than the one you built, and I'm sure other folks have built it too. But it's it's got the the step in the front fenders that's unique to this these initial. Yeah, well, well it's got the step fender, but the but the fixed front mudguard. You can also get the step fender in those rebuilt Panzer III M chassis things as well. The Stugs are so are so crazy in how many different versions and modifications there were. Well, what uh, what do you think is still missing? Well, as you can see, we have a lot of early options, and we have a lot of uh, a couple of late options now with Tacom and Border Model. But the thing that doesn't really still have that much support, apart from the existing Dragon kits, is the mid production when you've got still some of the early looking features on there, but you've got things like Zimmerit. And Zimmerit is its own whole thing. <laughs> a lot of people like to make it themselves, but you can also get the resin sheets. I like the ATAC sets. They're very good. I do too. <laughs> and, um, and of course, Dragon has their two kits. Um, they got the, the Sturm Habitza, like, and, uh, and also a Stug 3G that have the Zimmerit molded on, which are actually very good kits. And then one of those was reboxed by Das Work, I think, in 2019. Those kits are good. Uh, there's a little bit of, I mean, like it's, a, it's a dragon kit, so there's always a couple of things you got to fix with them. But I, I want, I mean, because um, when Tacom did some of their Panthers, they did this molded on Zimrit, right? Yeah. So yep. when, when is Tacom going to give us a, a nice mid stug with the molded on Zim? That's what I'm looking for because I like Zimrit. And the, the dragon molded on Zimrit, they only give you one of the patterns. They give you the Alcat waffle Zimrit, which is arguably the coolest. But the other factory that built Stugs, Miag, they have their kind of like tile pattern you see on Panthers and, and Yag Panthers as well. That one is only available as ATAC Zimmert sheets. You can't get that molded on. And also there's a very unique uh, Zimmert pattern. We call it the Alcat Initial pattern, which is basically like one month. They had this weird, it's, you know, like when you picture the standard Zimmert, which is like those horizontal lines in a bunch of rows. It's like that, yes. but the rows, but instead of being a uh, rose, it's like they zigzag, they curve. It's almost like a fan pattern. And I've got maybe five photos of it. It's so cool, but I just want to do it. But I can't make Zimmer myself because I suck. So I got to wait till ATAC makes it. <laughs> well, Night Shift has his whole latest videos, a Yag yeah. uh, Panther with how to how to do Zimmer it. So. Yeah, but then Night Shift is also like, here's the first figure I ever painted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do, do not get me started on the fact that the first figure he ever painted came out better than anything 99% of us could produce if we devoted the rest of our lives to painting figures. He is, he is so skilled. The man has natural talent. I have, based off his videos, I've got the tools and the and the stuff to make Zimrit, so I'm going to do it someday, but I'm probably going to ruin the first kit, so I don't know. I'll do it on a, I'll, I'll do it on not on a Stug, something I don't care about, like a Panzer IV or something. By the <laughs> way, I, I have to mention that you personally got a shout-out on a Night Shift video, and that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Makes me feel makes me feel happy inside when I get that night shift shut out. 
What do you think about this late border kit with the, the crew and everything? Uh, the crew in the full interior. It looks really, really good. Honestly, I found like one thing wrong with it, which is it has the wrong tow cable clamps, um, but there's aftermarket for that, right? It actually looks really, really, compared to the Dragon 6593 kit, that kit is, I mean, the interior, I, I, don't, I don't, honestly, I, I know a lot about Stugs, but I know nothing about interiors, basically. Interiors are an entirely separate matter on German tanks, and they change more than the outside, it seems. And also different factories have different interior layouts. So I can't comment about how good the interior is, but it looks really, really cool. Well, if you put the crew in, you can't see much of the interior. <laughs> I mean, you usually can't see much of it anyways, because you just have the little That's two true. hatches. And there's no, there's not even a driver's hatch on the Stug. They just have the transmission hatches at the front. So it's, but when on the Stug, you can leave the roof separate very easily, which is kind of, kind of cool. So we've got Border, Ryefield, Tacom, and now Mini Art. Yes. Uh, I think Meng Meng <laughs> Meng. I don't know. I hope honestly. I hope, and then I hope they give me a, a version that hasn't been made yet. Because well, I was I was wondering who do you think is going to blow this wide open? I think it's going to be mini. Yeah, art. mini art. Like as as they've done with their T fifty fives, like they milked oh, the T fifty five dry. How many T fifty five kits did they do? They made every single one, and then they made them with and without interiors. Like. But I mean, it's it's great because you don't need to kit bash stuff anymore. You don't need to buy an aftermarket conversion set because you have that option. You can just buy that other kit. Um, but also, it's a little bit like once you see the like, oh, a new kit, the fiftieth mini art T fifty five. It's a little bit. You see people in the Facebook comments saying, "Oh my god, another tiger, another," and you kind of get it. But I mean, for these companies, it's pretty easy for them to do a minor change like that and make something new. It's a lot easier than making a whole new kit, right? Well, we'll see. I think that's what's held up their 76-gun T-34s is now they got to retool a bunch of new stuff because you can't get there from what they've got, a lot of it. Um, the G, Sturmkisch's G is, you know, the, the whole entire superstructure is different, so... Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard. They're going to have to invest some more money to to do the early ones. But gosh, I hope they do. That'd be fun. Yeah. When when all these kits were announced, all G's, I saw a lot of people in the Facebook comments and people commenting and talking to me. A lot of people were kind of disappointed that they didn't have any short gun kits. Um, and honestly, I find the long gun versions more interesting than the short gun. I'll, I'll get to the short gun kits someday when I start building my collection of Stugs. But a lot of people wanted to see some short gun love as well. And Honestly, I think it might be a little while before them because if, if they've if all these companies have invested in these toolings for OSVG, like we've seen with every other thing, they're going to milk it dry. There's going to be like they're going to make five different versions of it over the course of the next couple of years, probably, and and then after that, maybe you get the the short gun kits. But because there is a lot of difference, basically the only thing that's the same is the hull. Like the fenders are different, the superstructure is different, yes. the engine deck is different the hatches all, all changed transmission hatch at the front is different um yeah like it's 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 basically a completely new vehicle when they changed to the to the house f8 and g essentially when they went to the long gun final versions like that you know we've got all these kits but sometimes even with the best of kits things come up a little short sometimes and there's just a, a an ocean of aftermarket out there for for Sturmgeschutz kits currently just i think mostly driven by the 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 vast line of dragon kits that, that have come before these new ones. 
you, you made a comment about how many kits Dragon had. So I went and looked and it was kind of hard to count them on scale mates, but it's about 35 different kits <laughs> they've, they've released over the years yeah. for Sturmgeschutz. So that's a lot. Um, so there's a lot of aftermarket out there. Probably most of it is for those kits generally, because that's what was out there. Some of this stuff's worthwhile and some of it's not. And, and we, we had a whole segment on, on a prior episode about worthwhile and, and not so much aftermarket with the Sturmgeschutz stuff. What do you think's a good go? And what do you think uh, folks ought to just give the skip? Well, I'm kind of a bit of a fanatic about Stugs, so I go pretty crazy on the detailing sometimes. I mean, we have a lot of aftermarket tracks, the 3D printed ones recently, which I, I honestly haven't got any of the T-Rex ones or anything like that in my hands on them. Um, but people say they are really, really good. And they're also very cheap compared to some of the metal stuff, especially Fruo model tracks nowadays because of their new distribution method we'll say and also you got master club metal tracks as well so maybe you got metal gun barrels from aber and rb and all these companies and the photo etch sets as well and usually when i buy a photo etch set i don't use all of it because it's like oh here add this tiny lock or like slice off some detail and make it worse with 2d photo etch plates <laughs> you yeah. have touched on mike and i's number one complaint with photo etch photo etch is not your friend in in a large number of cases i wish that some some companies would make simplified photo etch sheets i mean i guess you kind of get that in like the dragon kits sometimes but was it edward had the zoom kits for a while now they don't really have those anymore yeah they were just a small like a business card size sheet typically yeah yeah, I want to see more of that. Or I guess, well, now that you have 3D printing, though, some of that stuff is 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 now kind of more in that field. A lot of the tool clamps and stuff that you see nowadays are those 3D printed ones. I love them because I hate folding photo wash tool clamps. And the 3D printed <laughs> ones look, I, I would say they look as good because, you know, the, the difference in thickness between photo wash and 3D printing currently is is pretty negligible. And sometimes the photo wedge tool clamps are almost too thin because in reality, these, these steel clamps, they have leather inside of them to cushion the tool. And usually when you put the photo wedge clamp around your, your shovel or whatever, there's not that leather. So the, the, the handle kind of rattles in the, on the model, but the 3D printed ones have a, a correct thickness. You know, one thing about these 3D printed tracks, I guess, I see the cost advantage, but you're really giving up your best your best shot at weathering them in a realistic manner by not having them be a metal part. Yeah, I, I do agree. I love the metal tracks and then giving them that final sand at the end after you put the mud and the blackening <laughs> on there. That's really, really fun. But yeah, the three printed tracks are, are so much cheaper now. Um, unless they happen to be made of copper. <laughs> don't trigger me like that no i had forgotten i had to bring that up that is one of my favorite youtube videos you ever did i had forgotten about those i had managed to bury that memory i still have those tracks they that company did give me a <laughs> refund because i i ordered the r model metal ones and i got the <laughs> copper ones i still have them on my bench as like a warning well, but, make yourself a watch band out of them or something. <laughs> it's so weird, though, those copper KV tracks. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of aftermarket markings out there, too. I'm, I'm, you know, if you're if you're a decaler, I guess. Uh, yeah, a lot of Dave. The stugs were, were, <laughs> yeah, were, that's right. I've only were, got 500, over 500 sheets. I mean, you know, now I can get into armor. But, you know, you can get those, those uh, Sturmgeschutz Battalion-specific decal sheets. Yeah. 
and just got all kinds of markings on them. Cause you know, the, the national insignia and the numbers aren't so tough if you want to mass paint them, but uh, you know, some of the stug brigade unit insignias are kind of complicated. Yeah. Those companies like what's it like bison or star decals, they have those big sheets, which is, you know, each one is a couple of stug abtie lungs, but since there's 5,000 of them, there's so many different options. Well, who's your favorite PE company for, for stug stuff? Uh, recently I bought a bunch of the, well, actually recently I was trying to get so many photo etch sets to correct my dragon kits. I was just buying anything I could find on eBay, but I do like the Voyager ones. Uh, they're pretty good. I think I also had some Eduard, but that wasn't as nice. I think the Voyager sets were better and they, the Voyager sets gave you a little bits of resin in, in them too, I think. For like the yes, for the yeah. like the ammo box on the MG. Well, their sets are well packed, and their instructions are pretty good. Yeah. I think absolutely stuff. But now, of course, I don't need any of this photo etch because now we got Border Model giving me the exact same kit that I bought all that photo etch to make. So <laughs> yeah, I spent I spent I spent all this money on those dragon kits, and I spend even more on all that PE. But everyone can thank me for my sacrifice. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you think is the best bet for these concrete armor ones? That's one that's got my interest right now. We've talked about it a little bit in the past, but uh, yeah, for um, resin, it's mostly. I mean, you have Panzer Art; they make some really good sets for like a. I mean, they have a. I think they have a superstructure with like camouflage netting on it, and they have that special. I don't know what still gap to long it is like two two six or whatever that had the extra armor, so the superstructure is almost like wider because it goes all the way up to the fenders. And they also have all the resin return rollers and and stuff. But for the concrete armor, I would honestly just go with the uh, value gear sets because they have they have stood stowage sets, but they also have those little concrete, uh, just kind of like shoulder pieces that go on. I mean, you can always make the stuff with with putty or whatever if you, if that's True. more your style. But if you want to just go with the plug and play, because um, because not only did value gear make these make these sets, but they have like this one is tailored to fit the Tamiya kit. This one's tailored to fit the Bronco kit. This one's tailored to fit the Dragon kit. They have. Like I guess there's slight dimensional differences and they definitely went the extra mile in making sure that all their stowage and, and extra sets like that would, would fit. I do love value gear stowage. They're always really, really good. And anything in aftermarket you think's not worthwhile. I, I guess uh, to a large extent, it's, it's all the, the minutia of some of these photo etch sets certainly comes to mind. I, I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, those big photo etch sheets are a little bit frustrating for me and I don't know. Like any, like it, it's aftermarket, right? So it's if you're going for aftermarket, you know how deep you want to go into it. So if you don't want to do aftermarket, you just stick with the photo etch in the kit. I don't know if there's any photo etch sets that are that you should avoid. I haven't encountered any that didn't really fit or anything like that because they're usually just small details out in the end, right? Right. I, I was thinking I've had some. They weren't Sturmgeschütz specific, but I've I've had some uh, some resin gun mantlets with aluminum barrels that no longer fit together after the resin is shrunk. Hmm. Okay. Which is kind of, kind of a drag. I, I, but the, uh, well, I bought a Panzer art barrel that was warped. That happens sometimes. The resin barrels with the, with the canvas cover at the end. Oh, uh, okay. They sometimes warp, which is a bit depressing because you can't really fix it. <laughs> I mean, you can, hard, you, yeah. you have to like boil it and stuff, but I just, I just bought a metal barrel, 10 bucks. <laughs> to get all this together, in a manner that makes sense and to help understand all these, these nuanced changes and small detail difference between all these versions and, and uh, production series within a, within a version reference material, published reference material, online reference material. I'm sure we've got our favorites. What are some of your recommended go-tos for uh, 
good, uh, let's say, start with the publish, the books, the books and magazine types, type stuff. What would you recommend to folks wanting to, to have a, at least a, a decent stug library to, uh, to get started? It's hard to recommend because the, the book that I would say is the book to buy is out of print. That is the Muller and Zimmerman uh, two-part series, The Stronger Shoots Volume 1 and 2. Because those books are now like prohibitively expensive. I mean, maybe if you're willing to spend 150 bucks on a book or 300 on two books, then it's not prohibitively expensive, but that's pretty pricey. But those books, if you can get your hands on them, they have pretty much all the information you would need to know because volume one breaks down the history and talks about the technical development. If that's more your thing, you know, you just want to like to read and look at pictures and stuff. That's what volume one is. And then volume two is basically just a big table, which is like, all right, now we're going to look at the engine deck. What type of hatch do you want on your stook? And it just breaks down like month by month, factory by factory. I can hear you flipping through it right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's me. <laughs> like I love those books because you're building, I mean, you're building a kit. You're, you buy the mini art, the new mini art kit, which is the February 1943 Alcat factory kit. You can open that book and then find every single feature on the book that, and then find, you know, what it looked like at February 1943 at Alcat. And then you can just build it like that. Uh, but yeah, those books are out of print. Apparently, I've heard rumors that they're going to reprint them. I, I have no idea if that's true or not. Well, I'll second that, and and I guess if you if you had to get one, it would be volume two. If you're going to limit yourself to one of the two yeah, books. if you're if you're a kit builder rather than a history book person, then yeah, volume two is definitely more geared towards. I mean, I mean, the whole back section is a bunch of one thirty fifth scale drawings of a, a major variants of the Stug, so you can see kind of like oh, this is what the return roller type was like, and when the side skirts changed, and so on. Now, if they do a reprint, we'll see if they include it. And if you're buying a book secondhand, you'll want to make sure you ask if this is included in the book. But if you got a new volume two, uh, when the book was in print, it had a poster in it, a fold out table. Yeah. I want to frame it on my wall. It's so beautiful. It's kind of big and it's, it's got, uh, it's got timelines for all the production, major production feature changes Yeah, uh, it's for all the versions. Pretty on much it. just a big uh, Gantt chart where it's got all the bars, like when each feature was, was changed and so on. I know it's so beautiful. <laughs> I was going to ask if you already had it hanging on your wall. No, I don't have space <laughs> for it right now, but someday. <laughs> you got any other books you, you got, you got in there in the collection you like? Uh, I've got a few books. I mean, I, I've got all these other books, but then I can, I start to see a picture in it, which is captioned as something and it's kind of wrong. And then if you can look at the Muller and Zimmerman book, it's got the same picture captioned correctly. And, but there's, I haven't really encountered any bad books on the Sturmgesturts. So the, the other, another major book I have is the Spielberger book, which I think is, I mean, it's a, it's a good technical guide. It's not as in depth as the Muller and Zimmerman book, but you look through there and it'll give you all the introductory, maybe even mid-level knowledge you need. That's just Stronger Streets and its variants. And that one's also especially good because they talk about the uh, the Stug 4 as well, which the Muller and Zimmerman books don't even get into. And honestly, I think the Stug 4 is the most hideous vehicle ever made. It's like this, <laughs> this horrible, bastardized, beautiful Stug on the horrible Panzer IV. <laughs> I'm just joking, but... <laughs> Yeah, but that's a it, that that book is actually available for purchase. So I guess that one would have my recommendation if you can't get the Muller and Zimmerman book. 
Well, I've got the two Mullers and Remember books and the uh, the Walter Spielberger book, and I've got a few others. And there are various degrees of usefulness. One I think is worth picking up if you can find it. Evan, this might be before your time a little bit, but uh, there's a Japanese series called Octung Panzer. Oh, yeah. And their their volume five is on Sturmgeschütz 3-4 and then the SIG-33 self-propelled gun. And what it, what, what it has in it, first off, it's got a good photo essay of most of the surviving museum vehicles that were accessible when that book was published. So like late nineties, probably. And it's got a lot of hand-drawn, uh, like isometric views. Yeah. I know those. I see them posted all the time on Facebook. People clip those out showing all the changes and stuff. And that's, that's kind of like the Muller and Zimmerman book. That's really useful for people who have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then you just post a picture and they can say, okay, yeah, I see the changes. So it's you know it's got those those breakout views and they're all hand drawn but they're 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 uh, they're nicely done it, it's a really good series of books I've got them all in my collection all all the Octane Panzers but the uh, the number five on the Sturmgeschütz series is is worth picking up um, another one that I would recommend is uh, Sturmgeschütz three in combat and this is from Tankergrad Publishing uh, it, it was authored by Marcus Zollner. And it is a uh, well. Let me back up. I've talked about I've talked about uh, Tankograd in the past, mostly from from the, the Russian subject books. It's published. Uh, the owner of the company is a Jochen Volert uh, in Germany, and he's gotten really savvy at taking wartime German photographs and reproducing them in very high quality on slick paper. And this book has got a few. You know, the captions. Some of the captions are just not correct. Uh, or they're just, they show a, a low level of understanding of at least, or low level of interest in the production changes. Like for example, two photographs of a, some abandoned vehicles along a road and they're all late Sturmgeschutzes with the, uh, with the uh, remote MGs on them and the, uh, the gun travel locks. And, and the caption talks about how unusual it is for these tanks to have these, these guns to have travel locks on them. Cause there's only a Sturm Halbitza feature in the past. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's also, it's also a standard feature on, you know, from this date on for every Sturmgeschütz built. Right. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of wartime photographs in this book. You, you, you've not seen before. Uh, that's talking to all the listeners, not just Evan there and Dave, but, uh, there's a lot of, uh, really unique photographs in here and, and they're all for the most part reproduced in really high quality. Uh, the other two books I have in my collection are kind of, I don't know, Hit or miss. I've got the old Squadron in Action series on Stug Three. Uh, it's full of photographs that are are often published in their other places. Uh, the color profiles are good, though. That's always fun. And finally, um, from Tom Yens and Hillary Doyle's Panzer Track series, number eight in that series is oh, uh, yeah covers the Sturmgeschütz series. Uh, not not to a very in depth degree, but uh, you at least get scale drawings of all the major versions. And I think, I don't know if these photographs are in the, I'd have to look to see if they're in the Spielberger book, but the, uh, the, the late Krupp built Stug fours, if someone has an interest in that vehicle, um, when those things rolled out of the factory, they had a spray camouflage on the, on the vehicle proper, but the side skirts, the shirts and had, had the, those disc pattern. Yeah. Ambush scheme on them. That's so and, cool. Uh, it's just a really bizarre, combination this is a really striking looking camouflage scheme yeah i, I do think the Stug four is ugly but when i see it with a disc camouflage where the late war 
swinging side skirt, hard edge camouflage. I'll make an exception. That's a cool vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can't find Pentatrax 8. I really want to get that book, but I cannot find it anywhere. Why is the Stug 4 so ugly compared to the Stug 3s? The reason why I like the Stug 3 and why I got into it, same reason I like the T34. It's just an aesthetically pleasing vehicle to look at. You look at it and you think, that's a cool vehicle. Stug 4, because the, the Panzer IV's chassis is different, the... Like because you have the they have to put that box on the front of the superstructure to put the driver, like it just extends the chassis forwards and then the engine deck heights. It, it just the beautiful proportions of the Stoke Three are ruined when they put it on the Stoke <laughs> Four. Uh, Dave, I would liken it to a a a movie prop vehicle where they've kind of made something look like something else. Gotcha. So it just kind of has that kind of vibe to it. It's. I agree with Evan. I, of the two, it's the least attractive for sure. It's the ugly sister. <laughs> My, the best way of describing what the Stug 4 looks like to me is if you Google the Fiat Multipla, which is the most hideous car ever made. Google the Fiat Multipla, and then that's what the Stug 4 looks like to me. Well, Evan, is there anything else you want to talk about, Sturmgeschutz, that we haven't covered tonight? Well, continuing on from the reference material, I think there's a couple of other good places where you can get some information if you don't have the money to spend on books. Oh, sure. We left out the entire uh, non-published, non, non-physical published anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a Facebook group called Stoke Tracks, as well as yep. a, a group more focused on modeling called Stoke for modeling the Stoke 3 and 4 in miniature. Something something like that. It's a really long name. But especially Stoke Tracks, there's a lot of photographs in there that are very, very helpful. And the group has also been set up very well, where you can go into um, like images are, are uh, sorted by by features. So you want to find a vehicle with uh, late side skirts. You can go find a little hashtag or whatever, which says, you know, late side skirts, or you want to find a training vehicle. There's a hashtag training vehicle. And then all the posts in that group, because Facebook is sometimes hard to to scroll back through and find old yes. posts. The, it has a very good search feature built into the group with those, uh, I think they're called topics. Uh, which is definitely useful for me because if I want to look up vehicles with hull numbers stenciled on the hull, as I did recently, I just went to that topic in the group and then there's 30 posts going back five years or whatever that are right there for me. Also, there's a very helpful Stoke 3 fanatic like myself um, named Andreas Larka, who lives in Finland, and he has a website called andreaslarka.net, I believe. Yeah, andreaslarka.net. I guess it's hard. You guys can put it in the in the show notes down at the bottom for people. And basically, he has photographed every single Stug 3 in Finland, because Finland got a bunch of Stugs from Germany. He photographed all these vehicles, and he's talked about the technical features similar to how Muller and Zermin did in their books. And because Finland got early vehicles, early Stug Gs and late Stug Gs, you can see... Uh, the changes there and he's got really good like i said really good photos and really good breakdowns so if you want to build a kit you can go on there find a similar date a vehicle that he's photographed and look down and see okay here's like some detailing that i can do or if i want to you know just if you want to do any changes or anything like that there's really good quality photographs and reference on his website that i'd recommend because it's a it's it's a really good resource and it's free for everybody so i recommend that website for sure all right. Well, Evan, we thank you for joining us tonight and talking about this subject. We both have such a deep interest in. It's been fun. 
We, hopefully Dave got in a few words there. I, hey, I've enjoyed listening. Listen, anytime modelers get together and talk about their favorite vehicles or the stuff that they really have an interest in, even if it's not your, your cup of tea, it's, it's great to listen to because they have such an affinity for the item that they're talking about. I, I love the heck out of this. Well, Evan? Thanks again. We appreciate it. I hope you've had fun. Oh, I, I always have fun talking about this stuff. Three. I just hope that your viewers are are still listening. <laughs> uh, they'll they'll be fine. If not, they'll let us know. All right. Well, Evan, have a safe trip home from your work travels, and uh, hopefully, we'll catch you in Omaha, Nebraska. I look forward to it. I, I can't wait to go to my first Nats, and oh. finally, once again, to go to a show because I have not really had much of that recently. And now that I'm out of university and I'm free, you know, I've got the ability to go places. <laughs> uh, now it's when all the shows are canceled, but it, it'll work out. All right, man. We'll take it easy and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. Take care. Well, Dave, that was, that was pretty great, man. I like Evan that, a lot and that was a lot of fun. That was, that was, that was fun. Even though half the time you two were speaking Greek, as far as I was concerned, I could kind of follow along. And uh, it's certainly an interesting subject, I'll tell you that. Well, how's that modeling fluid working for you, the Iron Maiden? I'm down to uh, the Iron Maiden Brewdog Hellcat. I'm down to the last few sips, and I've got to say, now, it not quite gumball head, but definitely i could see this be getting into a regular rotation this is this is quite good very smooth uh for an for an india pale ale you would think it would be hoppier but it's not and uh this is a fine drinking beer how about you it's pretty darn good this knockout ipa yeah i'm kind of digging it it's uh it's a it's smooth it's it's an easy drink it's a be a good session beer i think i could i could have two or three of these and be okay and uh you're saying and, you could do a lot of yard work while you're i, I while could you're do a, i could do a lot of yard work drinking this it's a winner i'd buy it again well i didn't Definitely. buy it this time we'll get that in a minute but, but <laughs> that makes I, it, that makes it even better if i see it i'll buy it <laughs> i'll keep an eye out for it i'll bet you they've got it over at total wine they probably do i'll probably find it here too but but we'll see maybe not yeah well, we're getting to the end here, Mike. Uh, you got some shout outs? Well, I always want to shout our latest PayPal and Patreon subscribers. Uh, I want to mention uh, Brian McFeeders, Robert Hallinger, Matt Dyer, and David Paisley, who've all contributed to the show via PayPal or Patreon. Uh, guys, we appreciate it very much. And it's, uh, it's going a long way to bring this show to the masses and just really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. You can... Uh, do so either of these either of these avenues really uh patreon is www.patreon.com slash plastic model mojo you can go there for your regular monthly subscription or contribution if you want to do it that way or for on your own schedule or a one-time donation you just go to www.plasticmodelmojo.com and in the upper right corner you'll see a heart icon will take you to our paypal portal and you can make a one-time contribution there either one time or as often as you like we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That we do. Uh, speaking of our listeners, uh, my shout out this this uh, episode is to uh, our old friend, Mr. Charvat, and all of the other 
listeners who were very encouraging to me as I took those steps to continue work on the M30. It shouldn't be that hard to suck it up and and go on to the next stage of a project, but uh, I have this problem. I admit I have this problem, particularly when a project is going really well and you know the that finishing paralysis sets in and uh they've all been very encouraging and that really helped me move along so i want to thank all of you and hopefully your encouragement's going to get me across the finish line i also want to shout out dr michael poland from uh, knoxville tennessee he is the source of this beer i'm drinking tonight he lives down in the knoxville tennessee area he's a physician at the ut medical center and he's got some family in town here. I think his sister-in-law, maybe that's what he told me. And he was in Lexington a couple of weeks for a birthday party, a child's birthday party. And uh, he arranged a meet ahead of time. So we met at the local establishment not too far from my house. And he bought me a couple of beers, gave me a six-pack. And we had a nice conversation about model shows and modeling in general. And uh, Michael, I really appreciate it. Well, we're at the bloody end of this one. It's going to be a little bit of a long one, but I hope it's all worth it. Dave, as they always say, so many kids, so little time, man. Take it easy. I'll catch you next time. You got it.